So turn with me to First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. And I want to read verses eight and nine. I want to speak to you tonight on a subject that I have only preached on a very, very, very few times. We need to know who the enemy is. And here we have the enemy laid out for us. Peter writes, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom, not what, but whom he may devour. Who resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world? I would encourage you maybe to take some notes. And I'm going to give you a lot of stuff here tonight in the time that we have left. And the theme of our study tonight is a look at the devil. The purpose of this is that we might more easily recognize our enemy and know something about his tactics and how he operates. I've divided my subject into several main thoughts, and we'll go that way and subdivide kind of as we go along. Number one, we want to consider a description of the devil by his names. And he's got a lot of different names in the Bible. First, in John 8, 44, he is called a liar. He's called the year of your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. In John chapter 14 and verse 30, he is there referred to as the prince of this world. He kind of thinks he's running the show, and in some sense God has given him permission to do so to an extent. But ultimately, God has not surrendered his sovereignty to the devil. Uh, number three, or, or C, he in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, is there called the prince of of the power of the air. And he's not talking about ABC, NBC, MSNBC, and CNN, and all that stuff, all right? Uh, the prince of the power, I mean, there's a sense, though, in which the radio waves can be considered uh, part of the, of, the, of the air, the airwaves are out there. It's amazing, as I stand here, I don't know if you ever thought about this or not, I, I, I don't hear anything except for the air conditioning, I don't feel any any vibrations going through my body, but there are all kinds of radio waves in this room right now going through us. All you have to do is turn on your cell phone, don't do it, now turn them off, or turn on the transistor radio and find out all the things that are going through us all the time. The prince of the power there. And sometimes you look at television and you, and you realize that he is in control of Hollywood. That is the devil's business for sure. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, he is there referred to as the God of this world. Indeed, he is the God of this world. And he has his followers. Uh, not too long ago, just within the last few weeks, I think it was, I uh, heard about the, the statue of Satan being put up some college campus. Christianity is forbidden, but Satanism is okay. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, he is there referred to as an angel of light. Uh, and his, his workers are transformed into angels of light because he's an angel of light. You know, I, I can't help but think about this when I hear about people who, <clears throat> and I've talked to a few of them, and I try to set them straight, but 
You know, you can't set somebody straight who doesn't want to be set straight, all right? But these people who claim to have these out-of-body experiences, the one kid turned out to be a fraud. All he saw was grandma and grandpa, bright lights and colors. And folks, that's not what heaven's all about. Heaven is a place with the Lord. Heaven's not about grandma and grandpa. Heaven's not about uh, husbands and wives and children. For one thing, I do not believe that when I get to heaven, I will recognize Barb as my wife or Evelyn Lynch as my mother. I think we're just going to recognize each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, what about some of these preachers? I know one preacher had three wives. His two uh, previous wives deceased, predeceased him. You know? uh, which wife is he going to have in heaven? Well, the Bible says there's no giving of marriage in heaven. And so I think we need to be careful about Oh, don't you want to go to heaven? Heaven is going to be awfully lonely without you, though. Folks, if that's the reason to go to heaven, you better question uh, whether you are, in fact, headed for heaven. I, I mean that sincerely. Heaven is indeed a place with the Lord. So he's the angel of light. You know, we're talking about bright lights. And I said, listen, the Bible says, and you can't, you can't say, well, I experienced it. You have to interpret your experience by the Bible, not the Bible by experience. But these people always see bright lights. Isn't that interesting? Satan is the angel of light. And what they describe is not what the Bible teaches about that. And not only that, but the Bible teaches very clearly that it's appointed unto man. What? Why died then? I, I, I was dead. No, you weren't dead. You might have appeared to be dead, but if you were brought back to life, you were not actually dead. Your heart may have stopped beating. There may have been a flat line, but you were not officially, in God's eyes, dead if they were able to bring you back to life. We need to be very careful if we have a proper biblical understanding of these things. In Ephesians 6, he is described as the ruler of the darkness of this world. Uh, we think sometimes, can things get any worse than they are? Yeah. Just wait for the tribulation, though. If you're saved, you won't be here for that when that happens. God's going to take us out of it. But in John 3, 19, men, <clears throat> the Bible says men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. And he's the ruler of the darkness of this world. In 1 Peter 5, 8, we just read that he is there described as a roaring lion. A roaring lion. Not just a little kitty cat you want to go up and put your arms around. But a roaring lion that's out to destroy um, in uh, Revelation chapter 9 and verse 11, <clears throat> he is there called the destroyer. The name in Revelation 9 11 is Apollyon, which in the most of you have the Mars Lotion Bible means the destroyer. And in Job chapter 2 and verse 3, God's speaking to Satan because Satan had to go before the throne of God. And God challenged him and said, Have you ever considered my servant Job that there's none like him in all the earth, etc.? And Job, uh, Satan said, yeah, has Job not feared you for not? You, you put a hedge of protection about him. Is that surprising? And you've caused everything he does to prosper. You let, you let me touch him, his things down. And God's okay, but you don't touch him. By the way, that ought to bring a great source of comfort because Satan can do nothing more to you than God allows him to do. And if even God allows him to kill you, guess what Satan has done? He sent you home to be with the Lord. Ultimately, he's defeated. <clears throat> More about that later. And then, so Job goes, uh, 
Job. Satan goes back before the Lord, and it's almost like God chuckles and says, Well, did you consider that? Like a roaring lightning before God growling and grumbling. And God says, Listen, you, you, you've moved me to destroy him. But I want you to know he's a stronger man than you are. And so he attempts to destroy. In Revelation 12 and verse 9, he is there referred to as the great dragon. In Revelation 20 and verse 2, he is described as the serpent, Satan. In Revelation 12, 9 and 20, 10, he is also called the deceiver. Now it's interesting, in Revelation 12, 9, the word Satan literally means the arch enemy of good. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Satan is the god of this world. Is he not indeed the arch enemy of good? Now we have same-sex people wanting to get married. They don't understand the purpose of marriage is, is reproduction. Well, they can't reproduce, so they recruit. There was a time when I was in junior high school when people, quote, came out of the closet, they went to jail if they, were, if they molested. You know, a homosexual sodomite couple has an easier job of adopting a child than a Christian couple who want to raise in the church with the Bible as their guideline. Oh, you can corrupt the morals of a minor with sodomite's parents, but don't dare raise him in church. That would be that would be un, 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 cruel and un, unjust punishment. No, the best thing a child can have is be raised in church and run the word of God. The word serpent in Revelation twenty verse two literally means uh, artfully malicious. Notice the word artfully. <clears throat> he comes up with some unique ways of doing his maliciousness. It all has the same end result. And the word devil actually means slanderer. And isn't that what Satan did before the throne of God regarding Job? Isn't that exactly in Revelation 12 and verse 10 b? He is the accuser of the brethren before God. He slanders us. He lies about us. He tries to present us in a bad light. But listen, God knows. God is omniscient. Satan is only half smart. God is all smart. Satan is only partial knowing. God is all knowing. So there's a list of the number of his names that describe him that way. Secondly, consider with me the deeds of the devil. Since we're talking about the devil, I've given him all deeds. That's not a very good grade. My grandson's a straight-A student. Last year, uh, he <clears throat> he was not just an A student, he was an A-plus student. And I said, Samuel, Grandpa, I've never had that problem. What do you mean, Grandpa? <clears throat> I didn't have A-pluses. I didn't have A's. A stands for a tent. I had a lot of F's on my report card. He looked at me and said, you know, F stands for fabulous and fantastic. <laughs> he said, no, Grandpa, it means you fail. It's like... He's just, he, I've just been taken off the pedestal he had me on. It means you failed. I said, what do you mean I failed? It qualified me for five consecutive years of summer school. <laughs> and my wife cracked up. He didn't know what summer school was. <clears throat> he didn't know what to do with that one. But the deeds of the devil. First, he is dishonest. And again, in John 8, 44, he is described there as the father of lies. In Genesis 3, he's the one who lied to Eve. He said, why, God, who told you you can't do this? And then he said, well, well, who does God think he is? And he questions the authority of God. 
And then he questions the integrity of God and says, why God knows that you're not going to die. Why God knows that you're going to be just like him. Isn't that what Mormonism teaches in Salt Lake City? What man now is, God once was. What God now is, man may become. That's a satanic lie that was taught by the devil to Eve in the Garden of Eden. I'm not trying to be unkind, folks, but listen, that is a false religion that has no power to save men from their sins. The fact is that he lied and said, God's going to know that you're going to be just like him, when in fact, instead of drawing them closer to God, um, it sent them away from God. And Eve, of course, looked, she saw it was pleasant to the eyes. She, the, that's the pride of life, or the lust of the eyes. It was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh will make her wise. That's the pride of life. Hey, folks, that's, they're the same three things we battle today, are, are they not? Every one of us. <clears throat> and she fell for the lie of the devil, and she gave to her husband. I both wonder what would have happened if Adam had refused the fruit. Would God have destroyed Eve and made him another wife? I don't know. We'll never know. Because Adam fell for it, and the whole world was plunged into the depths of the depravity. But Satan was a liar. He, he lied and he was dishonest with her. Secondly, he is the deceiver. In 1 Timothy 2.14, the Bible says that the woman was deceived. Adam wasn't deceived. Eve was deceived. Adam knew what he was doing. He was the responsible head of his home. And the Bible doesn't tell us that in Eve all died, but in Adam all died. Adam went into that situation with his eyes wide open. And the sad thing is when the voice of God came into the garden in the cool of the day to visit the fellowship with his prized creation, they weren't there to meet him as usual. By the way, they were naked. They weren't trying to sew fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. And, uh, and God said, Adam, where art thou? That's all over here behind the tree. What are you doing back there? Well, I, I was ashamed. Well, why were you ashamed, Adam? Well, the guy gets ashamed when he doesn't have any clothes on and realizes he's naked. Well, who told you you were naked? And then he goes on and says, That old woman you gave me blames everything on Eve. And men are blaming their wives for everything that goes wrong since the Garden of Eden. Pity the poor bachelor who has no wife. He has no excuse. He is, he is totally accountable for himself. 1 Peter 5 8, he devours. <clears throat> he walks about like a roaring lion seeking. Whom, by the way, he devours. Seeking whom he may devour. You know, the devil never succeeds in destroying Bible colleges and churches and mission agencies or anything like that just by an outward attack. You know how he does it? He gets individuals in there who infiltrate, and for some reason they go undetected until it's too late. Or they are tolerated. I almost hate that word toleration. Toleration today means you have to agree. You have to agree. You have to accept them, but they don't have to tolerate you. The same-sex marriage people, we're to, we're to accept them, but they don't accept us. So a baker well, loses their business and all these other things. I think the Supreme Court finally stood behind them, if I'm not mistaken. But, but the fact is, we're living in terrible days. Satan, there's one, one seminary that had a professor that got in there and in the name of academic freedom. You were academic freedom is, folks. That means the freedom to teach anything and everything that is non-traditional and that's anti-God, anti-Bible. Academic freedom should mean I should be able to go into a, 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 a state university and teach a Bible class. That's academic freedom. 
I should be able to teach creation. Oh no, that's religion. Evolution is science. There's a Greek word for that, baloney. <laughs> the Hebrew word is hogwash. Folks, listen to me. Evolution is a religion. Any, anything you take by faith is religious. And folks, the evolutionist has to take evolution by faith. In fact, it takes more faith to believe it because there's no evidence to support it. All the evidence is in the camp of the creation. They all have the same evidence. That's what they do with the evidence. And so Satan seeks about devouring. And this professor got in there denying the blood of Christ, referring to the atonement, the atonement as a slaughterhouse religion. And instead of being thrown out of the seminary, he was allowed in the name of academic freedom. And that seminary today is lost. It is totally gone. In fact, it was in my home area. Henry G. Weston, one of the founders, one of the rather one of the uh, editors of the original Schofield Reference Bible, 1901, was the president of Crossroads Theological Seminary. Later became Crossroads Theological Cemetery. Theologically apostate, a cesspool of liberalism. And the chapel used to have great preachers coming to encourage ministerial students. Now houses our area's largest abortion clinic, where instead of the word of God being preached, babies are being dismembered and piled up on a on a stainless steel tray. Terrible. So he devours individuals. He's determined to do his own thing. Isaiah 14, verse 13. The I wills will say, I will do this. I will do it. I will be like the most high God. And God says, Oh, really? That's what you think, bud. And he gets the boot. He is devious in his temptation. Even to the point of using scripture. To get people to go astray. And folks, listen, if he did that in Matthew chapter 4 with the Lord Jesus, you think he's not going to use scripture uh, to try to tempt you and me to do something that's wrong, that's contrary to scripture? He'll use what scripture against this man of the scripture if he can. And that's exactly what happened in the wilderness. And the three answers that Jesus gave, by the way, the three temptations are not all he had. I think they're just representative of the type of attacks he had. For 40 days and 40 nights, Satan unloosed the entire arsenal of hell's weapons against the Son of God. And again and again, for 40 days and 40 nights, he answered with this beginning, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. Folks, listen, you better know what's written. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the only weapon you have to do battle with our arch enemy, the devil. I have lost my numbers here because I got letters. F. He directs his own. John 13 and verse 2. He filled Judas and led Judas and directed him to go out and betray the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of soul. He desires that which is not his own. And in Luke 22, Jesus said to Peter, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you. But I have, I have withheld him from doing so. I have protected you. He destroys in 1 Timothy 3.6 to speak ill of. The idea is to destroy one's character, to speak ill of somebody. Well, I'll tell you, poor Judge Kavanaugh. I guess the hearings are over, aren't they? I kind of got out of touch. I don't know when they're going to vote, but man, that guy was put through the mill by a bunch of people that didn't know their head from a hole in the ground, and yet they're senators. Supposed to be smart people, but boy, they sure showed their stupidity and their ignorance. And so he, they, they tried to speak ill of him. 
and to destroy his character. Poor guy just sat there and took it. I thought I thought the first day was only senators having all their little speeches. I think if I were him, I said, listen, I'm supposed to be here for you to question me. When you get ready and done your speeches, you have questions, I'll come back. I'm going to go check it out. But he had more character than that. Five, this is number nine, I guess, he duplicates the work of God. And one of the classic examples of that is found in Exodus chapter 7 and verses 8 through 12. Remember what happened there when Moses and Aaron went before uh, the court of Pharaoh? And at God's instruction, Aaron threw down this rod and it became a serpent. Remember that? You remember what followed that? The magicians, they're the demon worshippers, they're the occultists, they're the Satanists with their enchantments. They threw down their rods, and every one of them likewise became a serpent. And I would suspect if you and I had been there, once these snakes start slithering around, we would not have been able to pick out which one was Aaron's. I don't think Aaron's had a yellow or red stripe down the back of identify. I think they all look alike. But Satan's job is to duplicate and counterfeit. And one of the greatest counterfeits that the devil's come up with today is the charismatic and the prosperity gospel stuff that's going on. What's, what's beautiful about that passage, though, in Exodus 7, is that Moses' servant, Aaron's servant, proceeded to do one of the great miracles of the Old Testament. You know, a snake may stop swallow another snake of similar size. I was watching on YouTube. I, I spent a little time on YouTube getting my education, my, my sacred, my, my classical concerts and things, and I watched the snake swallowing another snake. King snakes eating a rattlesnake. Kind of gross, but they swallow them whole. It takes a little while to get them down. But a snake may swallow another snake of similar size, but listen, only one. Folks, what you have here in Exodus chapter 7 is a demonstration of the power of Satan, but opposed to that is the omnipotent power of God Almighty. And Aaron's and Moses' servant proceeded to swallow not just one, but every one of the devil's snakes were eaten. Folks, that is a biological impossibility. And I think that counts, it goes down in the record books, as one of the great miracles of the Old Testament. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He darkens men's mind to hide from them the truth and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he dominates the world, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. And that's, that's a rather, rather clear passage in Ephesians chapter 6. Number three, consider with me then the defeat of the devil. There is, folks, I'm not trying to preach a negative message to get you all discouraged about your powerful enemy. He can be defeated. In Job chapters 1 and chapters 2, uh, his actions were, were stayed by God. In other words, uh, he could only do, he could only do so much he could go no further. When God even allowed him to touch Job, he said, "All right, you can touch his body, skin for skin. All the man has will he give for his for his life." And God said, "But don't kill it." And you all know that what Job went through, he really suffered unbelievably. And, and his friends came, and the whole idea of his so-called friends, the friends like that who needs enemies. Well, they say, like you live well, all sickness is a result of sin. No, it's not. You read Job chapter 1 and 2, there's, there was no sin in Job's life. 
Job was being tested and Satan was being taught a lesson. And in the midst of that, Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Trust God that way. He's under the sentence of God as well. In Isaiah 14, of course, he was cast out of heaven. And the uh, result of the Garden of Eden problem, he was judged by God in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14. As, as was the serpent and as was creation. <clears throat> Matthew 25 verse 41, God has prepared <clears throat> a special place for the devil. By the way, it was never God's intention that any human being ever have to spend time in the place prepared for the devil and his angels. That's how far. The lake of fire in the end. But listen, if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you're, you're of your father the devil, guess what? You're going home to live with your daddy. For all eternity. And then in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, we find that his sentence is finally executed and the devil is ultimately destroyed. Now, number, number four, I think it is. Let me give you some quick defenses for victory against the devil. You, in your battle with your arch enemy, can have the victory. He can be put to the run, and you can wave the victory salute. 1 Peter 5 Do, these are, these, these, these are all positive. Well, most of the couple of notes here. Do be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. So you've got to be on the alert. The idea of being vigilant means be on the alert. Don't allow yourself to be taken by surprise. Don't allow yourself to be put into a situation or a circumstance where, where the temptation is going to be even, even magnified greater than otherwise would. Be careful where you go. Be careful with whom you mingle. Be vigilant. We're also told in verse uh, First Timothy, or First Peter five nine, and also James four seven, we're told to resist the devil. Do resist with everything you have. I was reading a biography, the autobiography of Tom Malone. Anybody here ever, ever hear Tom Malone preach? Well, he was quite a preacher, wasn't he? And he was early in his ministry and holding some evangelistic meetings. He was driving, commuting back and forth, and nothing was happening. And on his way up to the meeting one night, the devil started working on him. And said things like, Tom, you're just a failure at this preaching bit. Why don't you just give it up, throw on the towel, and go sell used cars? And this battle was taking place for several miles. And, and finally, Tom pulled the car over to the side of the road. He walked, walked around the passenger side. He opened the door and said, Devil, get out! And he slammed the door, got in the car, and drove away. I don't think what Tom realized was the devil got out of the front seat and just jumped to the back seat. But listen, we have to resist him. Uh, we have to use the sword of the spirit. Number three, we need to draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. That's in the same verse, by the way, where we're told to resist the devil and draw nigh to God. The closer you are to God the easier it will be to resist the devil and the more likely you are to have the victory. Number four, don't give place to the devil. Ephesians 4.27 Don't just say, I'm tired of fighting. 
I was at an evangelistic conference of several other evangelists several years ago now, more than 20 years ago now. And there was an older evangelist, probably my senior by about 20 years, and I guess he's probably with the Lord now. And he gave one of the most discouraging messages I've ever heard a preacher give. He said, you know, basically he said, I'm tired of fighting. I'm not going to fight anymore. Listen, soldiers get tired of fighting. And when they decide I'm not going to fight anymore, what's it called? There's a term for that, brother. What is it? Surrender? Absent without leave? Desertion? Um, dereliction of duty? None of those have a good connotation to it. Folks, listen to me. You and I do not have the privilege to decide when we're going to quit fighting. <clears throat> I'm not talking, please, I'm not talking about fighting amongst ourselves. I'm talking about fighting the, the good fight of faith. I'm talking about waging war with the enemy. The enemy's not my brother and sister in Christ. The enemy's the devil and his cohorts and the millions of hell. Right. All that they represent. Don't give place, don't give up. Uh, Ephesians 6 1, or 6.11 rather, do stand against. Ephesians 6, uh, verse 11 says, uh, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, Wherefore take unto the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girded up to, and all the armor, etc. We need to stand against the devil. Number 6, I think. Do be fully armored. Ephesians 6, verses 11 and 17. And the whole armor of God is given there. And everything except one piece is given for your defense, for your protection. We all know that you can't win in defensive war. At some point, the army has to take the offensive. At some point, we have to say, okay, enough is enough, and won't go after the enemy. See them turn and run and defeat. And so we need to be fully armed. The only weapon we have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This, my friend, is your weapon. Are you familiar with it? Do you know how to use it? Have you practiced? Do you have some experience in doing so? Number whatever, G, I guess. Don't be ignorant of his devices. 2 Corinthians. 2 and verse 11. We're not ignorant of his devices. Ah, but listen, so many of God's people <clears throat> could not be more ignorant of his devices. And we get so easily suckered into all kinds of things because we're not aware of how he works and how he thinks and what his methods are. Don't be ignorant. And number 8, do use the word of God. In Matthew 4 and of course Ephesians six seventeen, the sword of the spirit. Um, which is the word of God, whereby we can have defeat over the enemy or the, the devil. So these are some defenses we have for victory over Satan. And finally, this is the this is the positive part now. There is and can be deliverance from the devil. We understand that in Acts thirteen ten and John eight forty four. We understand that by birth we are children of the devil. But we are also fine because we're children of the devil by birth, 
we find that we are condemned as a result of that in Adam. As in Adam, all died. For since by man came death, and death by sin, as in Adam all died, so in Christ shall all be made alive. So we're children of the devil by birth, we're condemned by birth because of being child of the devil, and condemned Adam. But the Bible also teaches us in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no, what's the next word? Condemnation. The Bible doesn't say we're not guilty. Ah, my friend, we are guilty as charged. But praise God, we are not condemned in Christ. There is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. It's qualified. It's not just arbitrary. There's no condemnation because Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again the third day. Therefore, everybody's going to be saved. Everybody's going to be delivered from the devil. Not so. There's no condemnation to those only who are in Christ Jesus. John 1.12, we become sons of God. We become adopted into His family. We also have a new birth, a spiritual birth. The Lord Jesus spoke of in John chapter 3. As many as received Him to them, gave me power to become the sons of God. If I can make that kind of general, reverently, we become the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Sons of God doesn't mean you can't be a daughter of God, all right? So we use that word children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what Galatians 3.26 says. Now we're all the children of God, but it's qualified by faith in Jesus Christ. No longer a child of the devil. Now a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Through the gospel of His Son. This is the gospel by which I preached unto you, Paul said, by which you're saved, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Folks, the whole gospel is not simply ask Jesus into your heart. The whole gospel is not that Jesus died for your sins. Listen, the, the Catholic Church has a crucifix where Jesus Christ is still on the cross. And yet, one church already has, has the sign, He's risen on Easter Sunday. Well, if He's risen, get rid of the crucifix. He's not on the cross. His body's not on the tomb. He's risen as He said. By the way, the burial is a part of the gospel too. The reason Paul mentions the burial in 1 Corinthians is because burial validates the legitimacy of the death. I know when we were in Bible college, we studied different different theories about people in the resurrection. You know, the swoon theory that he just he just fainted, he just passed out. No, he was dead and he was buried for three days. Anybody who swooned would not have survived that. And on the third day, by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit of God and His own power as God, He came out of that tomb triumphant and victorious. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. Folks, that is the gospel that Paul preached. That is the gospel wherein we are saved. I know the devil is not a, not a nice topic. You probably don't hear too much preaching about the devil, at least not from evangelists, but I thought this might be a good study to begin our, our week uh, in the evenings anyway. So we can, uh, let me tell you folks, the devil's going to attack me this week. Let me just tell you right up front, the devil's going to do everything he can to keep you from coming to these meetings. And again, I say these meetings are not important because I'm here. God knows that. Uh, these meetings are important because there's a work that the Spirit of God 
wants to do in each of our lives, my own included. But if we're not here, we're not going to get what God has for us. And you can't pass a test in school if you keep skipping class. And we take a test every day of our life spiritually out there. And we wonder why so many times we don't pass the test. Well, maybe we skip too many classes and have not been equipped for the situation that arises. Pray for me as I prepare each evening, not only to visit, but more importantly, pray for me as I prepare for the messages of the preaching each evening. I know evangelists get teased a lot. I only got seven sermons. Just dip in the barrel and take out one. No, I don't do that. Uh, I, I, I try to seek the mind of the Lord, and I don't know what your spiritual needs are, but God does. My prayer is that God will lay on my heart a message that you all need to hear that's going to help you in your spiritual walk with Christ. So pray that God will do that work in my life. Pray for yourself that God will do a work in your life. And then pray for those that invite, and I trust you will invite others. And, and don't be discouraged if they don't come. Disappointments won't think discouragement don't allow. But then the devil gets the victory. Just do what God wants you to do, and let God take care of the results. Let's bow together as we pray.